0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future, as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected, and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
2: Marco.
0: Sean, are you ready for a good conversation?
2: I am, I'm on a mission. You're on a mission. I'm on a mission. Which one? I know you have many. Uh, I do have many. And most revolve around food. But uh, <laughs> the, today, it's all about making money. Economy to make money. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. allows me and everybody else to buy a bunch of food. <laughs> but the problem is, Marco, is if we drive so hard to make money and forget about sustainability and the food, let's say, <laughs> that's part of that picture, uh, we might be doing ourselves, or at least the future generations, some uh, some harm and some disservice at, at a minimum, right?
0: Yep. And we are definitely at a point where everything and everybody is talking about this. And I'm afraid that I haven't found that article, that book, that uh, documentary that say, here's the solution. Because I feel like the solution is not much in the idea, but in the will of the people. To actually accomplish and and get into get involved into this grand scheme grand idea grand strategy <laughs> yeah, <a> grand
2: strategy <laughs> so i and, got there uh, you did get there and uh i have a feeling that will is the core but without a plan we, we might not have a good direction either so um to help us with this conversation because i think we're going to take things so far that they're going to be on be beyond my uh, comprehension until the end of this. Uh, we have Joel Macauer joining us from GreenBiz Group. Joel, thanks for uh, being part of this. It's great to be here. Thanks. And to, uh, to let everybody know who the voice is coming from, maybe a few words about uh, the work you do, uh, some of the books you've written to kind of set the stage for the things you care most about and are passionate about.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks. Um, well, I am the chairman and uh, executive editor and co-founder of a company called Green Biz Group based up here in beautiful Oakland, California. And we're a media and events company and focusing on the intersection of, of business and sustainability and technology. Uh, I'm a journalist by training. Uh, so I and I've been in this particular field for over 30 years. Uh as it's changed uh, considerably over that time and particularly over the past few years. So it's an incredibly dynamic and exciting and uh, engaging and and frankly hopeful uh, part of the economy that uh, just now really starting to come to light uh, at the mainstream level. But been lots and lots and lots going on below the surface for a long, long time yeah that's
0: that's for sure. I mean, I, I think uh, I don't know if you agree with what I said when I was uh, we were kicking off the conversation here on uh, on on this podcast about maybe not being prepared uh, psychologically and and strategically. it's a trait that humans kind of have. So I like to look at the past. And kind of to predict the future, like on a, some virtual time machine. And and I don't know if we learn so much from the past and we move so fast into the future until we hit the wall and like, hey, wait a minute, there is a wall here. And uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what is your vision in this and, and how did you decide it? For example, on the title, we can start from that book that we, we were mentioning is
1: the new grand strategy. I mean, I think there's a lot into that a lot. Sure. I mean, and the the subtitle of of that is Restoring America's Prosperity, Security and Sustainability in the 21st Century. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I wasn't looking to uh, write another book. I've written a bunch of books around business and sustainability and corporate responsibility and a whole range of topics around that. And then a number of years ago, I met a guy called uh, Mark Puck Mickleby. Um, called Puck, not because he is uh, a Shakespearean actor, but because he's from Minnesota and plays hockey. And w- in the Marines, where he uh, spent uh, 20-some years, that was the nickname he got. Um, and, um, and, and Puck had a really fascinating story. Uh, in, in about uh, 2009, early 2009, in the opening days of the Obama administration, he was uh, brought into the Pentagon by uh, Mark Mullen, who at the time was the uh, Joint Chiefs uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest-ranking military officer in the U.S. government, and asked to come up with a strategy—not a military strategy. We had a bunch of those: intelligence strategy, weapons strategy, all kinds of strategies. This was a strategy for America's future. And, and I, I interviewed Mullins, and in, in, as we did this book, and basically said, "What were you thinking?" And he said, well, I didn't know what we were fighting for, the million and a half men and women I have out there in harm's way. I wasn't sure what we were fighting for. Yeah, to de- defeat the terrorists and all of those things that we talk about politically. But what's the world in which we wanted to uh, succeed? And what's the world we envision that uh, we're fighting for, in effect? And so Puck, along with uh uh, a, a, a counterpart in the Navy called Wayne Porter um, hold up for a few months and they came back with a plan that basically puts sustainability in the center as, as a strateg- national strategic imperative. And sustainability is, is one of these words that like, what the hell does it mean? And we hear it talk about it as it environmental stuff, as a climate change, what does it mean? And and it means lots of different things and we can we can get into that. But basically... They defined sustainability as an as an organism's ability to uh, to grow and prosper over time, um, and um, you know that really goes to uh, to basically the uh, underlying characteristics of of America, which is prosperity and security. Um, so, how do we become a more resilient? country uh, and, and and again once a, once again a beacon of hope to the rest of the world and so what this what the plan called for and this is what our book became about was dusting off something called grand strategy which is something that America has done at at critical times in its history to align its governance structures with its economic systems with its foreign policy to take on the big challenges of the time so in World War II Uh, Our grand strategy was basically called the arsenal for democracy, arsenal of democracy, that we were arming the the good guys um, and helping defeat the bad guys, in effect. And then um, after World War II, uh, we all of a sudden we had this uh, the specter of communism, Russia, Soviet Union, and we, we were, weren't about to get into another war, and we, we knew we didn't want to take on uh, the, the Soviet Union on the battlefield, uh, particularly given the, the nuclear weapons that had since uh, evolved since, since the end of the world, of World War II. So the, the goal of, of was called containment, the strategy, the grand strategy. and that was about um, containing uh, the Soviet Union on the global chessboard while out it economically. In the global markets, and so in each of these cases, we've aligned our our governance structures, our economic uh, priorities uh, with uh, our foreign policy to take on those challenges. And so, okay, communism—you know—they lowered the uh, hammer and sickle uh, on the on the Kremlin for the last time was that 1991, I think, and 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 it's been 30 years. And and so, what's our grand strategy now? We don't really have one. We've kind of been operating off that old playbook. And so what we came up with was uh, the strategy that, that looks at how do we do what Grand Strategy has always done, which is start with the economy, leverage the power of the private sector and business to align with the goals of, of the national goals of, of arming the world or, or containing communism or whatever it is. And, and so now, how do we do that? to align with the big threats that we have, the existential threats, climate change, of, of uh, global population uh, that we may not be able to feed and clothe and, and, and nurture, and, and so many other things that we uh, that are, and are equally important and something that's been a big conversation these days is our, res- our, our resilience deficit, which is to say that our infrastructure, our supply chains, basically the fabric, uh, the underlying fabric that keeps society running globally is frayed. It's falling apart. And and as we saw, you know, whether it's a, the, the freak winter storm in Texas that knocked out the power grid or the, that runway uh, uh, tanker in the Suez Canal that blocked that, you know, we're pretty fragile these days. We don't have a lot of resilience. Those things quickly um, the pipeline and the cybersecurity, uh, cyber threats are there on that uh, colonial pipeline, it, you know, uh, relatively small, significant things, but relatively small things in one place in the world can have global implications in the economy and in the well-being of people's lives. So, uh, you know, that's, I think, the interesting challenged an opportunity here and it is a huge massive multi-trillion dollar opportunity is how do we think about the economy through the lens of sustainability uh, uh you know uh, our ability to remain diverse and productive over time um that's i think it's a fascinating story and that's the book we wrote
2: yeah, and joel i was on a call the other night with a, a group of chief risk officers and they happen to be uh in in asia and um where australia happens to be locked down at the moment and kind of separate from the rest of the world so my my question to you is around globality the global economy um perhaps the the move toward because you talked about uh, the supply chain uh, if if people can't move in and out of Australia and can't get goods in and out of Australia. And, and likewise, the rest of the world can't take things from Australia and, and work with people in Australia as easy as it could be as just one example. Are we seeing a drive toward more localized economies and localized supply chains, and therefore a, a drive to build sustainability for ourselves? And how does that affect the grand strategy on the global scale?
1: Well, sure. Uh, the relocalization of commerce is is certainly one story uh, on you know on insuring reshoring of commerce. That's one piece of it. But but let, let, let's step back for a second because I think what's interesting here. Uh, I speak a lot. Uh, I go travel around the country, around the world, talking to business groups, business schools, uh, lot, all kinds of uh, organizations. And uh, talking about what's going on out there in this world that we're, we're we're talking about here around sustainability and technology and 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 the business sector, and first of all, most people don't have a clue what's going on and the, the fullness of it and how much incredible thing stuff is going on, but I talk about why it's going on. You know, everybody likes to talk about the business case, as if there is a business case for you know basically cooking the planet out of existence. Uh, But what's the business place for sustainability and clean technology and all of this? And I have an old answer and a new answer. And the old answer is sort of the thing that you see at every presentation uh, that people do about their, you know, companies do about their sustainability um, strategy. It's about increased sales, decreased costs, new products and markets, increased ability to attract capital and, uh, and attract and retain talent being a preferred supplier brand reputation things like that and so that's the old answer and it's not untrue but now it really boils down to one word risk and you know there's lots of different kinds of risk there's financial risk reputational risk right to operate risk transition risk technology risk legal risk regulatory risk all kinds of things but that's really what's driving this and so um, and, and, and the, of course the, one of the flip sides of risk is resilience. Resilience is, you know, is, is, is where we talk about a lot, but it's really about the ability to, um, to absorb shop shocks and, and, and come back quickly from them. A resilient person can deal with illness or death in a family or a divorce or a job loss or whatever it is and come back. You know, maybe not right away, but bounce back, whereas a non-resilient person kind of will get laid flat and a resilient nation will will deal with a pandemic or a political turmoil or uh, economic uh, downturn or any number of other things, uh, terrorism, cyber terrorism. We'll deal with it and 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 come back. And America has always prided itself on being resilient. So to your question, a part of this is really about how do we build resilience into the system? And part of resilience is not having to rely on uh, oceans across, to cross oceans and, and even pipelines and and canals. And how do we do more things? Uh, source more materials. Uh, and do more business where we are already and And what that goes to with things like the circular economy, how do we keep materials in flow in in a region in a in a given area, whether that's a small region or a large region, instead of sending things you know overseas to have them processed and sending them back here to have them manufactured or whatever the process is. And so and then at the same time, the technology is enabling so many of these kinds of things, the internet of things uh, additive manufacturing uh, uh, ai machine learning uh, robotics is are allowing things to be you know custom produced uh, locally uh, sometimes with available materials local materials distributed locally uh, we're we're seeing uh, the beginnings of uh, of revolutions in 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 manufacturing uh, dematerializing it decarbonizing it Uh, And increasing the local content. So uh, I know that was a really long answer to a short question about, you know, bringing things back, you know, stateside in the case of the U.S. uh, But but this is part of a trend. And there will always be things that we need to do elsewhere, uh, things that need to be made somewhere because of labor, because of material availability, because of any number of, of, of things. That's just market economics. But uh, we're, the technology is really moving very quickly to enable us to do a lot more things locally than we could ever do uh, before. So I
0: love this uh, podcast because uh, you
1: answer questions before I,
0: <laughs> I, I, ask, I ask them, and <laughs> <laughs> you make my job so easy. But but at the same time, you create new questions in my in my head. So I'm gonna connect to this. And one thing that I that I really learned to to look into every uh, issue and topic we talk about is, and it, it reflects the, the technology side of things, is the convergency of new technologies that come together, that allow to do things that even if we wanted to do years ago, we just couldn't do it, right? right. And and I was just reading, I believe, on the MIT uh, magazine the other day, uh, that there are a lot of good intention and a good idea. For example, for renewable cities and green cities and stuff like that. But in order to reach the goal that we want to have, we need some technology that is not even here yet. So, what what is the driver and what resonate when you talk to uh, people at the government? Um, you, you say, you know, schools, uh, university, and and business. What is the common denominator, and what do you think is going to drive this acceleration, even more acceleration of the technology that we need to get there?
1: Well, it's always some combination of fear and greed. Greed, you know. The fear part is, frankly, climate change. Uh, we're finally, after 30 years of, of warnings, beginning to understand the, the implications of a changing climate and as, how it's going to manifest itself, and already is manifesting itself. In many many ways that, that are potentially hugely detrimental to people, e- economies, and and of course the planet, um, we're recognizing that uh, you know fifty percent of global GDP is uh, dependent upon nature, uh, nature services, and ecosystems, and th- that are now being threatened by climate change. We're understanding that uh, ch- that climate is changing. Uh, the chemistry of oceans, which is going to affect the food chain and fisheries. Uh, we're uh, changing ag- the way we do agriculture. we're we're looking at how we do all sorts of things. And so um, and the, the the failure to do that, we're beginning to finally understand could could be catastrophic. I mean, we're seeing now finally the Federal Reserve and the Treasury department and and the economic Wall Street in general stepping up and and saying, uh, not just oh, this is the nice thing to do, but holy crap, we got to deal with this stuff because uh, the f- entire global economy is is threatened here, and we're learning as we've learned over the past year and a half that that something, you know, seemingly random can 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 take down the economy at least uh, several pegs, and, and 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 that was just you know relatively tame stuff compared to what's possible if we start to see having to relocate uh, you know, tens of millions of, of climate refugees, for example, or the persistent droughts in parts of the world where people are literally dying for, there's just no way to get water to them, uh, food and, and everything else. And so, and of course the flip side of that, the greed side, is that these are massive business opportunities there are trillion dollar many 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 trillion dollar markets that are uh, you know food energy building transportation materials uh, that are tied to these things and so we're at this uh, really fascinating inflection point right now and will be for the next decade at least where we have uh, the opportunity to reinvent our world. I mean, that sounds like you know hyperbole, but I literally reinvent how we make things, how we buy things, how we travel, how we live, how we work, how we shop, how we play. Um, it's going to be very different in in many respects than it was uh, ten or twenty years ago. And so there's there's huge huge opportunities. There's also huge disruption. That we're seeing in the fossil fuel industry right now is as the oil and, and coal industries are are heading down, you know, winding down in effect, or at least uh, over the next decade or two, and that the disruption and displacement of, of workers. But m- growing much much faster than that uh, are the jobs in uh, the clean economy or the climate tech, as it goes by all kinds of different names. And that's what my company's been leaning into: is how do we Identify, accelerate, uh, help get training for those people, and 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 bring those uh, uh, to light for those who aren't yet seeing them. These incredible opportunities are going to come out of this, uh, fr- uh, frankly, you know, existential moment.
2: Yeah. and Joel, I want I want to get. I mean, so much there to, to unpack, and hopefully everybody's just scratching their head, going, "Okay, wh- what's my role here?" And I'm wondering your view of the role of, of government in this, the the taking taking it back to the grand strategy? Um, how do we move this forward as a grand strategy? Because I think we've landed in a, a place now where there are po- pockets of innovation, pockets of technology, leading the way on certain things that may or may not play well with other areas, right? So they yeah. might be might com- be competing or, or creating gaps a digital divide for one example uh, where only people with money can access some of these new things so are we going to end up leaving creating a world that is sustainable but only for some <laughs> so i'm wondering with that in mind yeah. how does the government help drive this grand strategy yeah or is it going to be some billionaire somewhere that that leads the way
1: well, I mean, it's neither. It's, it's both. And I mean, there, there's roles for everybody. And the question, what, what we created in this book was a vision that we believe is equally compelling on both the right and the left. So on the left, is a, it's a lot of priorities around energy and hunger and well-being of people and local communities and things that traditionally have been more on the progressive or the Green New Deal side, if you will. But, this, but the way it's, it, we've laid it out is this is by business, for profit, and government can lead, follow, or get out of the way. There's a lot of things government could do to, uh, to enable this. But it's, what's really remarkable is how much has happened. I mean, think about the past five years. We haven't had a lot of government leadership in clean technology, at least in the United States. Quite the contrary. We've had we've doubled down on, on the older polluting ways, fossil fuels and all of that. Um, and yet... Uh, the inexorable march of technology and innovation has been significant and, frankly, breathtaking at times to the point where uh, renewable energy is now cost-competitive, cheaper in many cases, and more reliable and and more resilient uh, to to, uh, extreme weather than uh, traditional fossil fuel energy. Um, But it's also, you know, what's interesting about this uh, and, and so, so what's, what's fascinating is how much has taken place in the absence of of government leadership, at least at the national level in the United States. So there's a number of things the government could do to backstop, to support, to encourage uh, that don't necessarily involve trillions of dollars of, of spending. There, there, a lot of it is sending signals. And by the way, this is all stuff that's happened in the past. Things the government did during World War II to help move things along the transition to uh, from auto plants to building tanks and airplanes. These weren't necessarily things that were mandated. These are things the government supported and enabled and private sector stepped in and did what the private sector knows how to do. So um, at the same time, you know, there are there, but what's really fascinating here for me is, is the private sector really stepping in because again, opportunity. Huge, massive opportunities, but also the threat that that, that they see uh, right now. Uh, you know, the entire global financial system, the central banks, the Feds, and the and the European central banks, and 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 it's their counterparts all over the world, um, and the major financial institutions are all lining up around climate change. Uh, for one simple word, the same word I used before, risk. That this is about. If we don't deal with this, we, under, we understand that the financial system could quickly collapse uh, under the weight of, of massive changes and shocks that could happen to uh, in the world and to markets and things. You know, extreme weather and 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 all of a sudden the inability to conduct commerce and things like that. What happens to banks? Uh, and you know, it doesn't, as we learned in 2008, it doesn't take a lot for all of a sudden this cascading effect. and all of a sudden you've got major financial institutions that are in deep doo-doo to use a technical term and uh, and 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 we're you know all of a sudden shelling out billions of dollars or trillions of dollars to to bail them out. And so government isn't necessarily I mean sure the government's there at the federal reserve and the treasury department and they're just thinking about this stuff but they're really there to support the private sector. And that's what to me is most exciting about this. I'm 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 a you know, lifelong, you know, Democrat and, you know, definitely wake up uh, most days on the left side of the bed. Uh, but um, I'm also a markets guy. I believe that business has incredible power and business has uh, unequaled potential to uh, to drive change uh, with or without government support. Um, and, and I'm doing, in and, and my company, we do everything we can to help burnish and, and bolster that, and and I think that's really where the action is. Government has not been at the forefront of this. If it may be, and we're starting to see that with uh, President Biden, for example, that uh, you know political leaders see a parade and all of a sudden realize they need to be in the front of it, uh, and and you know that may be happening, and 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 that would be a, a beautiful thing. But the parade's on. The parade's moving. It, the parade's going strong, and it's getting bigger and bigger every week. And and it's uh, it's a massive global parade. And so, government, as I said, lead follower, get the hell out of the way.
0: Yeah, that uh, that'd be nice instead of like trying to make us trip, other people in the parade,
1: right? <laughs> Putting a
0: stick in between yeah. our feet.
1: <laughs> well, well that, that will that will still happen. There will there are plenty of people who don't see this who are threatened by this. Who yeah. believe in, for whatever reason, you know, just as the, the fact that the 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 last uh, election was 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 a fraud, that so is climate change and and probably the pandemic and the vaccine and everything else. Those people exist. They're going to be around. There are going to be lots of them, and at various times, they're going to be hugely disruptive to progress. Um, and so the question is, how does the parade continue to march forward, stepping over those sticks, avoiding them? Uh, just plowing through them in, in many cases, because that's what's necessary. Those sticks are going to be out there in force for quite some time.
2: You know what I like about this parade analogy, Joel, is that, that there's no one style of parade. I mean, there are lots of different styles. You have a military parade. You have a, a holiday parade. You have gay pride gay, parade. Gay pride parade yeah. You have a, a yeah, student school parades, all everything so the diversity in these parades and each one has a different leader for a different purpose um but all marching toward the same objective but they all look different people have our own role to play in that parade some mm-hmm. is music some is dance whatever it is and uh, i i think parades will continue right we humans love parades marco
0: yeah we love parades and we love diversity and we know the value of it. and we we also have been learning more and more about circular economy and understanding that we we just cannot be parading blindly into the future if we care about the the next generation. I mean, why are we going to the moon to Mars and who knows where in the end? But until that time, we need to take care of our planet. There's no, no questions about it. so to to wrap this conversation, Joel, um, you've been doing this for a while. You've wrote a lot of books. You're consulting with a lot of company. What, what is your personal vision for, you know, what, what could happen in this time limit that we've been giving ourselves? You know, with the, you know, with, with the clock ticking towards this this possible really really ugly scenarios that we're facing. Uh, are you feeling good
1: about it? Are you you leading the parade? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm right in there. We're marching along. I mean, being in sustainability is an inherently optimistic profession. We wake up most days thinking about solutions, thinking about uh, moonshots. We talk in bold, audacious plans, uh, zero carbon emissions by mid-century, zero waste factories. 100% hundred uh, percent renewably powered things that seemed audacious a while ago and now are either happening or they're on they're we're on the march uh, in, in process so so I continue to be extremely optimistic about the power of business about the role of technology uh, about the will of of humans but time is not on our side uh the indicators are are terrifying. In terms of uh, what's happening on the you know, on the ground, literally, uh, and and what's happening in in climate change, and we have a biodiversity crisis where we're we're finding that we're you know species that we rely on as humans for our well being and economic and and, and personal well being are being uh, threatened, if not going away. Uh, we don't think of this not just you know some a few birds and trees. These are things that feed us that control erosion that keep insects away, that keep predators at bay, we, they do a number of things that we don't think about and we don't pay for, but they're, you know, 24-7, 365. And those are being threatened, plain and simple. So time is not on our side. We have to move, Quickly, uh, we're starting to move much more quickly than than we have, but it's still not fast enough. And that's the tension is how do we make this incredible, I'm going to go from a marching to a ship, but how do we turn this massive ship uh, uh, in much faster than we've ever turned a ship before? Uh, because, uh, the, you know, we're, we're just sailing in the wrong direction and we realize that that you know, here's, here's where we need to go, but it's not so simple. And, uh, and so that's the really fascinating, part. that's why I, I, I've never ever bored with this. Um, it's, it's changes constantly and it's, it's fascinating. And it's that tension between the urgency, the existential threat and the unlimited opportunity that's staring us in the face.
2: Yeah, this is the, the ultimate risk management challenge <laughs> resiliency and and redundancy and uh god forbid uh, disaster recovery right um, business, well there will be disasters we're seeing
1: the- yeah we're seeing the disasters every year and they're getting worse worse, wildfires droughts hurricanes floods tornadoes and, and and everything else um the question is is how well suited will we be to adapt to them to to hold them off we can't stop them but we can build around them and then to, uh, to ensure that, 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 they don't get any worse than they already are. And that's, that's again,
2: uh, a huge threat and a huge opportunity. And the, the opportunities there, uh, if you want to learn more about what that looks like, uh, everybody should grab Joel's book. It is the new grand strategy, restoring America's prosperity, security, and sustainability in the 21st century. Yeah. yeah there's an opportunity for everybody here to understand what the risk is. And, uh, yeah. I think the huge diversity in terms of innovation and plans. Hopefully, all wrapped up in what is a grand new strategy. So.
1: And, and, if I, and if I may, Sean, just encourage yes. since We write about this every week. We publish at greenbiz.com. We publish seven newsletters every week, uh, seven weekly newsletters on food, energy, circular economy, um, and finance, and, and, and a number of other things. So encourage people. They're free. Uh, go grab those and, and, and check out the, the kinds of things because as you look at this stuff week in and week out, it really is, uh, frankly, heartening about all that is going on.
2: Yeah. Appreciate that, Joel. And yeah, there will be links to uh, resources in the show notes for this. So uh, lots of opportunity for folks to get involved. And so, Marco.
0: Nope. Nothing more to add. I think we, we cover a lot of ground that this will be one of those conversations that could last forever and probably will last forever, except not in one set. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe. I really enjoyed learning a lot from, uh, from your perspective. It's my pleasure. Thank you both.
1: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com.